And uh, here we go. It's basically all, and it's basically all the same. Essentially, it's all just honey, water, and yeast. But we will add things to the fermentation that kind of that will bring them in such a different direction from one another that they almost seem like they're almost in and of themselves their own thing. We're a bunch of cocktail nerds here, so. All right. Well, we're, we're going to give it a try. Thank you. Okay. Okay. It's Bar Crawl Radio, everybody. And it's mid-April 2018, Wow! and we're recording from the porch of Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, right across the street from the mortuary, down the road from uh, Trader Joe's, otherwise known as Trader Vic's. And today, we're talking craft beer and brewing, craft beer brewing and mead making in our New York City neighborhoods. Uh, that opening we just played was Alex Brindis. He's a most knowledgeable bartender at Honey's Bar at 93 Scott Avenue on Bushwick, Brooklyn. And this bar features really, really great dry meads. If you don't know what a dry mead is, we're going to find out on this show. And they do really great inventive cocktails also. And we'll be talking with the head mead maker, or Mazer, and owner or of... Or Mazer. Or, or Mazer. We'll find out. You say he Mazer, and, and I, I say Mazer. And he's the owner of... Honeys and Enlightenment Wines, Raphael Lyon. So here we are. Yeah, and we're also talking craft beers and have with us the owners and head brewers at Strong Rope and Big Alice Breweries in Brooklyn and Long Island City, Jason Soller and Kyle Hurst. And at the far end of this podcast, we will have the first ever Bead versus Beer. Oh. Okay, I know you're not going to edit Dude, that no, out no, because I will, you no. hate to edit. Do it I again. Really Try it again. 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 Go on. Okay. <laughs> and at the far end of this podcast, we will have the first ever beer versus mead taste off. We will be tasting some delicious meads and craft beers brought to us by our guests. Thanks, everybody. If you're in the neighborhood, drop by Gephardt's on West 72nd Street, just across the street from the mortuary, and have a taste on us. <laughs> this is BCR Podcasts are on iTunes and Stitcher. We're also available at barcrawlradio.com, and we will be right back. I'm uh, Alan Winson, anyone who doesn't know. And with me on this bumpy and winding Winnebago ride through life yeah, is baby. my partner in podcasting and love, Becky McKean. Hi. 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 And joining us is Alina Larson, our BCR co-producer. So what are we drinking? Alina, what are you drinking? believe that Namaste was in the name of this, but I don't remember the rest of it. Oh. But it's delicious. It's, a, it, it's a light beer. Yeah, looks so kind of fruity it's to a me. Wheat. Does it make you a feel wheat. peaceful? It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I went with it. I like but yeah, it. it's really tasty. I'd like a beer that's called Namaste. 
Right, that yeah. Sounds nice. That sounds nice. Well, I'm drinking my usual Tito's and vodka. How about you, Al? Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking a dark beer. It's kind of a Guinnessy type beer. I think it's a dogfish. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Dave, the bartender, mm-hmm. he uh, brought it up to me while I was setting up. And he said, do you want this? Do you want this? And I said, oh, I'll take that. And he poured <laughs> it. And it's really good. It's a stout. Okay. So maybe he can tell me later what, what, what that is. But you, you had something that you wanted to uh, talk about. Yes, I, I do have something segment. that I wanted to bring up with you, dear. Um, oh, my God. Do you? No, no. I'm just curious. When I get that deer thing. No. I just, it's like deer in the headlights. Don't worry. All right. Calm yourself. Uh-huh. So remember... Passover, right? We went to that great hotel in Rockville, mm-hmm. even. Even. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, very, a wellness hotel where they're, con- you know, all about your diet and, and having exercise. Yeah, and immediately and you, we got to the room. I did I yoga. wanted a little you-know-what, and you started exercising. Well, okay. Well, I, I wasn't going to talk about any of that stuff, okay. I love. I wasn't going to talk about that. I was going to talk about the other great late-night entertainment. When you get back from Passover, you've had... A, you know, a little wine. It's been a long, wonderful evening. The, the Pepto, Pe- Pepto-Bismo, that, yeah, that part of the Yeah, you get back to the hotel room, and not the other thing, but what do you do? You crack on the TV, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's fun because it's almost, especially if you're in a foreign country, it's fun to put the TV on because you never know. Yeah, TV in Iceland, it's, uh, it's a wild, wild <laughs> ride. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so we found this game show. Remember the game show? No. Okay, so this was like the dating game. There's a woman, attractive woman, three kind of sort of attractive men. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, you didn't like it. But no. so I, I thought it was kind of funny. So they had suitcases with them. And in their suitcase is the baggage that they would bring to the relationship. And they slowly revealed the baggage. And if the baggage was so too much. So oh. one guy was, well, one guy, which she didn't go for, was the guy who says he urinates in public. That was the, the baggage. Boy, you remember this. <laughs> I do. Wow. I, do. I, so, I so don't remember this at and, all. And I think that he was, and there was one guy who had um, birds that he fl- flew all over the house. Yeah. And she, and then later on, she reveals her baggage. And then they have a, like a beginning baggage, a little one, like a little valise. Yeah. And then they have a big baggage. I, I wanted to ask you, dear. Mm-hmm. So What's my baggage? When we first met one another, I what learned not was to reveal baggage? my baggage. Yeah, when we first met, I was Jewish. I well, that was the big that was yeah. in the big suitcase. That was the big suitcase. I, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, by the way, dear, I'm not Italian. I'm actually Jewish. And you know, all of the those girlfriends of mine there, they would they they said to me, um, Becky, you know he's Jewish. And I said, well, so what? He has a religion. He, that's nice that people... I didn't understand what the point was that they were making. Like, yeah. I, like it was taboo. I didn't get it. But um, no, I would say, honey, your baggage... My biggest baggage? Your baggage? Was I had a big belt. Oh, you did? Did you have a big belt? I oh, did. It was too big. How about those jeans that were like... Oh, the, uh, yeah, I frayed jeans, too. <laughs> no, no, no. Your baggage <laughs> was that sweater... It was red and white and little golden. My mother made me wear it. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to wear it. She said, you got to wear it. I bought it. I made it. You got to wear it. If I had known before I met you that you were going to wear that sweater one night on a date. Uh, Uh, Sorry. I I, I did get rid of it. I don't have it anymore. So what was my baggage? Now I'm wearing... I don't know. I mean, you, you just threw this on me. I don't think, I you know. know what? I have learned through life. 
is that when someone says, is there something that you don't like about this job? I'll say, no, I love everything, even though I may hate it. Oh, no, so so you, you have, have say, no baggage, you have sweetheart. Say, no, you have to say this, honey. Your baggage was that you were just too beautiful. Absolutely, yes, exactly. <laughs> beautiful and funny That's and sexy. Right. You, were, you were just too, too. You were too perfect, <laughs> and you were so not Jewish. That was the best thing. <laughs> and you, you were, you were Irish. I mean, I always liked Irish girls. You did, huh? always. Yeah, I'm from Texas. No baggage whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had a big. I brought all the baggage big... to the uh, to the event. <laughs> Oh, Alina, do you have any baggage? Sweater. No, I, I kind of have that same affliction of just too much perfection. It's there you tough. Go. It's really tough. It's hard to live with it. Right? It is. I yeah. Know, know. Yeah. Mm. People so, don't understand. So yeah. we 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 went a little bar hopping, uh, and we went out to Strong Rope Bar. Yes, because we went. And we also a went to Raphael Lyons Honey's Bar. Yes, we did. Uh, and we had a great time there. And we met Yvonne and Michelle Doyle at Strong Hope. Yeah, and they hey, were Yvonne. from. Hey, Michelle. Yeah, hi, and they're from Canada. A place called Medicine Hat. And yes. So uh, I, yes. I, I know you didn't want me to play this. This is like how did I was curious how Medicine Hat got its name. Uh, uh, okay, I'm just a little concerned that um, our new best friends are going to think that we're stalking them. No, I mean, you, no, like, no, no, no. You like research their town. I research their town, and I, I I found the archivist at Medicine Hat in Western Alberta, Canada. I I I, I found him. And he told me how Medicine Hat got its name. My name is Philip Pipe, and I am city archivist with the city of Medicine Hat. The story of the naming of Medicine Hat, uh, it uh, undoubtedly has uh, First Nations roots. There are various versions of the story that uh, have been told over the years. story that, uh, that's been told often in regards a warrior named Eaglebirth, who came to what is now Medicine Hat with a woman he loved, but uh, he had little luck in hunting for food. Eaglebirth dreams of a river creature, uh, sometimes described as a merman, who tells him that if Eaglebirth uh, sacrifices a human, he will have great success in hunting. Uh, he first tries to trick the merman by giving him a dog, but uh, this is rejected. So he discovers that there is a member of the snake tribe in the area. So he kills him and offers the body a sacrifice. Uh, diving into the river, Eaglebirth visits the merman in the teepee at the bottom of the river. There is also an otter in the teepee, and Eaglebirth gives the otter the headdress of the sacrificed man for which he is thanked, and uh, some say that this is how Medicine Hat got its name. There are these, these legend stories behind our name, uh, and our name certainly makes this community unique or shows respect to uh, the Blackfoot Cree and other uh, First Nations who utilized and lived in this area before the coming of rail and since the coming of the railway and their importance in the story of Medicine Hat. I am Philip Pipe. I am a city archivist with the city of Medicine Hat. And th that was the, um, the story of uh, Medicine Hat. So, uh, you know, it's also called the Gas City. as the largest natural gas deposit in North America. And here I thought I had the largest gas deposit in North America. That was another one of your uh, valises that you had with you, I know. Oh, the valise, right. Yeah, that, right. That, I didn't mind that I had a lot of gas. That would be funny. That Even more like, now. I have a lot of gas. <laughs> right. Is that okay, honey? Well, it's too late now. I just want to tell you, Michelle and Evan, do not worry. We're not going to show up suddenly at your tiki bar. Maybe not. Maybe or maybe we will. I, but anyway, Medicine Hat sounds fabulous. And uh, we are Bar Crawl we Radio. <laughs>
I knew it would come. I was just waiting for you to have the last word. We are Bar Crawl Radio. Subscribe at iTunes or Stitcher and find us at barcrawlradio.com. BCR is dedicated to interesting conversations with people who are passionate about what they do at bars. Yeah, that's what we do. And we'll be right back with the owners. Oh, no, we'll be right back with... With Raphael Lyon. Thank you. And Walter Leah and Brian Sullivan. Up. They're all meat makers. We're switching things up. We're switching things up here on Bar Crawl Radio. And we'll be right back. And, and we're going to talk about mead. And Becky is uh, maybe talk about her mead teeny that she's going to develop later in the show. Yes. All right. We'll be right back. And you're, you're a mazer or a mazer? Uh, I am, in fact. Well, I mean, th- that's kind of an interesting term. Do you mean someone who makes mead? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I meant, yeah. A mazer is actually a vessel from which mead is drunk. Right. And uh, me- a-, a mead maker is a mead maker. My name is Ken Schramm, and I am the author of The Complete Mead Maker, and I'm also the, the owner and head mead maker at Schramm's Mead in Ferndale, Michigan. That was Ken Tram of Tram's Mead in Ferndale, Michigan, and he wrote the go-to book on mead making in America. You can hear the complete 30-minute interview as a BCR Program 12 Extra on iTunes or Stitcher or at barcrawlradio.com. Today, I will be talking with three mead makers. Raphael Lyon is owner and head mazer of Enlightenment Wines and the Honey Bar, which is their tasting room. Uh, we visited we visited the tasting room, Honey Bars, recently and had a wonderful evening tasting their dry meads and amazing cocktails with the Doyles of Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. And Raphael and his partner, Arlie Marks, established this meadery, the first meadery, in the New York City area. We are so happy to have you, Raphael, with us on the program. Thank you. You're welcome. And with Raphael are two mead-making beginners. Brian Sullivan is a fireman in the D.C. area, and his interest in mead-making has led him to go pro with Capital Mead. And we have mead-maker beginner and enthusiast Walter Lee, founding member of the Pagan Mead Society, PMS, renamed the Triborough Mead Social Club and Literary Society, and for a while, they were called the Mead Men, but Walter says not so much anymore. <laughs> Welcome, Brian and Walter. Thank you. Thank you. I want to find out what attracted you to mead. Before that, we're going to listen to Ken Tram talking about how he learned how to make mead. Well, I was a home brewer, and I had gotten a copy of Charlie Papazian's uh, Complete Joy of Home Brewing. And in the back of that, there's an appendix that speaks very, very highly of mead. And and I, I quickly became enamored with that. And, and then I... Uh, I'm one of those guys that tends to do everything a little bit ex- too extremes. Um, I, I got in touch with uh, a guy who was one of the first national beer judge certification program, national judges. His name was Bill Pfeiffer. He was a former meat maker of the year. And um, he provided me with a, a lot of advice that kept improving my mead making. And and once, once I got into it and saw that there was this incredible uh, opportunity for creativity and, and, Variety. I, I just, I just decided mead was going to be my thing. So, Raphael, what attracted you to mead? Well, I, uh, I grew up in upstate New York and uh, lived on a farm, and you know our family 
had a pretty strong herbal tradition. Uh, so I grew up picking herbs and things like that. And when I got into alcohol making, I started with cider, um, but then quickly transitioned to mead because it fit really well with my interest in the history of medicine making and, um, you know, mead as a kind of carrier for other plants and fruit. Got my license in 2009, so I've been making it for about 20 years now. Oh, wow. Professionally for about 10, almost 10 now. Uh-huh. Well, I s- the, the tasting room looked at the bar mm-hmm. like an apothecary yeah. with the you know I love the, the the droppers the eyedroppers that you know they just it's it's a wonderful it's kind of like a scientific experiment yeah my, my partner Arlie is a sort of front of house guy he runs the bar and works on the cocktails and helps educate the bartenders and then educate the, the customers um, but you know we also have a really strong cocktail program and all of that's very precise and you know they you know he's also interested in natural flavors and what can be picked in New York and foraging. And, you know, that's all part of what we do. I don't think Arlie was there the night we were there. Uh, a- Alex was there. Alex was and great, he yeah. really educated us. I mean, it was it was wonderful. And you had a young lady that was there. Uh, and, and she looked like a chemistry major with mixing. Mm-hmm. And she had put a lot of different things in each of the cocktails. And they were terrific. Oh, great. Well, yeah, glad you liked yeah. them. No, I th- liked them a lot. We're going to have to definitely get back. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, Brian, um, let, let's, let's bring you into this conversation. You're a fireman in the D.C. area. Yeah. Uh, and you're starting a meadery. Uh, you got interested in, in, and you're calling it Capital Mead. Why, why mead? I mean, you've, you seem like you'd be busy as a fireman. Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm real lucky to have a schedule that gives me a lot of days off. So um, to fill that void, I've, uh, I've always been big into beer. And recently we've seen a, a pretty big uh, bridge between the, the beer and the wine community with mead. Yeah, you had kind of you had made some beer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done a few, um, and I've been collecting beer, so I, you know, I traded a lot and go to a lot of breweries for release. So Mead was, uh, Mead was something different. Um, you know, where I'm at in Loudoun County, there's now 36 uh, breweries and I think like 58 wineries, mm-hmm. um, but there's only one other meadery, and they're they're very small scale. So I think there's a, a really good market for it in the D.C. area. There's nothing really else in the, the area, and uh, I just. Thought, uh, thought I'd fill that void. Right, right. Uh, uh, I, I was curious, because Raphael, Brian is just starting. Uh, you've been in it now for 10 years. When did you feel you kind of got over the hump and you were making good mead? Did it take a while? You didn't make good mead immediately. Or maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. I think the most important question I had to ask myself was, what is good mead? That's right. a good question, and good. We, that's well, late. we have that you know, question written well, well, down, but go ahead, go ahead, answer it now. Well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't come from the homebrew culture. Um, I mean, in the sense that I wasn't participated in national homebrew competitions. I wasn't really into craft beer. Again, the, you know, that scene hadn't exploded quite the way that uh, it has now. Um, so I didn't come to mead from beer, and I had to kind of establish for myself what it was I was trying to do. And what I found 10 years later is actually um, I kind of see the mead world at kind of from across a bridge in a lot of ways. Um, I think that, you know, my education had to come from books. I had to do research and look at anthropology and, and, and try and understand, like, what functionally it would have been like to make mead 500 years ago or 5,000 years ago. Because if you want to know what mead really is, you have to kind of understand that it's global, right? So it's not regional. And that its 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 conditions are um, created by the limits of honey and yeast. You know, you very quickly realize that the 
the sense of mead as like like the idea that mead is like a honey and water fermentate, fermented mm-hmm. thing is like kind of a fantasy. Like it's almost never been made that way. It's almost always had other almost always had herbs in it. For example, you know the the reason you add the honey is because you have like a huge crop of black currants and you live in the 14th century and they're not going to survive for more than a month or two. Ah. So what do you do with them? Like literally, what do you do? You, your choices are to dry them. You can eat them as fast as possible. Fermenting things was a way to preserve them. It'll be there for you next year. And, and since it, when you look also at the ingredients, so many of the ingredients are also crossover with, um, it just, you know, blackcurrant is like, you know, the strongest source of vitamin C and, you know, that you can possibly get your hands on. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's the, the plant itself has a long medicinal tradition. So there's a reason people would want to make a blackcurrant mead. Uh, but you go to a part of the world where they don't have blackcurrants, like Africa, they make mead out of other things. Raphael, I wanted to ask you a question about the name of your meadery, mm-hmm. Enlightenment Meadery. What, what was the inspiration for that? There's two ways to think about it. I, I think one of the most exciting thing about mead, and again, I'm coming from like a wine world a little bit. You know, I sell this stuff at wine stores, not beer stores. But uh-huh. I think a lot of people are intimidated by grape wine. You know, they don't, they're not good with remembering names, and they can't remember the, all the different grapes and the regions, and they don't speak French, and, you know, there's a lot going on there that makes people nervous about learning how to drink wine. But the nice thing about mead is it doesn't have all that baggage. Yeah, so wine is kind of snooty. It can be. Yeah, it's yeah it can be. It can be up, snooty. Nose up in the air kind of thing. Um, but that's not to say that it's also not complex, right? So it takes a little right. bit of learning to learn how to do it. And the nice thing about mead, and for me, is that if I give you like our dagger, which is a cherry mead with uh, hemlock, fir, yarrow, and chamomile. So these are like New England winter herbs, right? Did you bring some of that yeah, today? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh nice. I don't know what it's, like, what is that supposed to taste like? You know, we don't, we don't really know. We try and do our best job. So the idea is that it's sort of like, instead of being told from on high what something's supposed to be, you get to taste it for yourself. You get to make your own decisions. And that's part of the European enlightenment, and that's one of the reasons we talk when about I, When I spoke with Ken Tram, he said uh, the quality that you, you, what you want, one thing in your meat is that it's thoughtful. Uh, what do you think he meant by that? If you were making a really fine Bordeaux or something, you know, like you wouldn't enter in a competition necessarily unless it was just for Bordeaux. It's very specific. The, the value in, in wine is, is actually uh, difference. You know what I mean? Like trying to make something special that's not anywhere else. It, there, it's not like hewing towards. Um, some ideal that's supposed to be like a session beer that's like an IPA of a certain type and then you as close as you can get to it that's as good as that beer is. In wine world it's like oh I live on this special hill we only have grapes from this place we make a very cool wine that you can't really try unless you come to, come to where we make it and that that's sort of the value so when he te- when he talks about um, thoughtful what he means is that there's something to think about while you're drinking. Yeah. Like, it has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. It surprises a you. A story. Yeah. I mean, not a story like we wrote this on the back of a label. You are surprised and interested. It's like a roller coaster, and something happens. Something ha- It's a ride where something happens. Right, right. It has a, you know, a lot of beer drinkers, they, they take a beer, and they throw it in the back of their mouth, and they, it's like a stall. They have it all at once. Mm-hmm. In wine, it's really important. You, 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 the wine is very dense. It's complex. So you spread it out. You smell it. You look at it. You taste it. It has a beginning taste, a middle taste, an end taste, uh-huh. a late taste. And all of that has to kind of knit together properly. So Raphael is a commercial mazer, making delicious herbal mead wines. And, and they're dry meads, too. Right. Very yes, dry, they are yeah. dry. And, they, and you can really taste the herbs, the different mm. herbs in the, in the meads. 
Um, but I also wanted to talk to Walter and Brian about what Hi. brought them. Hi, Walter. What brought them to meet? But first, I have Tyson Bursick. Um Tyson Bursick is a uh, mead maker podcaster. So if you like podcasters, you might want to check him out. And he's talking about what brought him to mead. So what drew me to mead was my brother-in-law. Yes. He's the one who decided that mead was going to be his thing. So he started making mead and eventually handed me, you know, a one-gallon carboy airlock and, uh, and a recipe and was like, here, just, just go make it. So then you started making it yourself. Yep. So, so I made it myself, tested it out, um, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't seem too difficult. It seemed pretty easy. It seemed interesting, you know, being able to uh, make your own alcohol without very much equipment. Um, and, uh, and if you, if you did it, you know, reasonably well, it was, it was fairly drinkable. So how was your first batch? So my first batch, I went overboard on, um, it was a Joe's ancient orange. So that's sort of like a classic recipe where you just shove a bunch of stuff in the carboy and then let it sit. Um, and, uh, I went overboard on the citrus, so it was very, uh, strong, uh-huh. but, uh, in the long run, after it aged for a couple years, oh, um, wow. it made it made a great mixer because it was it was sweet and it was citrusy, and so uh, you mix it with um, some seltzer, and it made quite a nice beverage. So, Walter, yes, tell our audience just who are you representing here today? I am representing the Triborough Pagan Mead Social Club and. Um, Literary Society, formerly known as the uh, Pagan Meat Society (PMS), we're, we're still known uh, PMS. as PMS for short. You know, yeah. uh, we're professionally obtuse, so people giggle a lot at uh, most of what we do. Before that, we were the um, Honey Oracle Recreators of New York, Horny. Uh, we were mead men, <laughs> and we were the Drunken Druids, the Double Ds. And it's only men, though. Is that what you told me? No, no, it's. Uh, yeah, yes yeah. and no. Yes. He's struggling. No, I know. No, no, I no. think we, so. I think we, we, we we're in a Me Too moment, you know. Well, yeah. A Me Too moment. A yes. mead, we're Me Too. Well, when we did our first pitch, our first batch, um, well, it's interesting. The best advice and the best help we get is always from women, which is, seems to always be the case in, in, in my life, at, at least. Uh-huh. Um, was our first batch. Um, we didn't have any of the equipment, and my friend Simon uh, kept... Uh, texting his wife, and she just kept bringing like basic stuff, things like spoons, um, <laughs> spoons. the pot. I mean, I, I brought like the cool stuff, right? What did you bring? I brought like um, I have a little box of the different yeast. I am the uh, in our group the so, okay. yeast master. I have a yeast question then. I Medical mean, do you get just, no. No. no? Okay, no. well, I, I'm way. Oh, that's interesting. Now, right. oh no, 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 no I'm no, not no, going no, there. No, no but. So you don't go to the grocery store and get those little packets of dry yeast? And no, we do that. We get yeast from every place. Every place? Yes. We do you get wild yeast? We, wild well, and crazy yeast? Um, yes, we're, we're experimenting with wild and crazy yeast, but we also want to have a product you know, at uh-huh. the end. Yeah. Or you know, something we can drink at when not poison ourselves, because that's a goal. And we, you, you haven't tasted it yet, have you? Uh, no. In, in fact, that's the other thing about... Um, Yeast or uh, uh, mead making is that it takes a long time. So in in the interim period, uh, we fill it up with a lot of fun because we, we're not really interested in doing it unless it's fun. So this first year, um, we're we're following a pagan calendar, and this first year we're calling 
the uh, year of dryness or the year of uh, darkness. And so all the images that we post on our Facebook page, the Pagan Mead, uh, the Triborough Pagan Mead Social Club and uh, Literary Society, are all going to be in black and white to you know symbolize oh, okay. our, our, right. our you hmm. know, dryness and, and things like that. So, But we're going to have a big party uh, at the next um, uh, vernal equinox. Um, yeah, so so yeah, no, we we haven't actually had anything to drink, but <laughs> we so, so all this and you haven't had any mead. I, no, well, I, we haven't had mead. That's a good point. We bring other things to drink, at, okay. you know, for research purposes, and we just research. Maybe you have to get mead. over the honey's tasting. You got to research mead. Though. Try some mead. Well, over we there. research other mead, and we research other, you know, alcohol. But we just researched the hell out of it. We had some absinthe. And so you're mead researchers. Drink. You're not mead. We're researchers. <laughs> we just okay. research like crazy. Big bottle. <laughs> Sounds great. So, Brian, what flavors do you bring to your meads? What do you feature? What do you are, um, are interested in? What are you interested in? I'm more into um, a lot of the the more odd flavors. Uh, so, instance, two, three, the three ones I brought today were uh, an orange dreamsicle, which is uh, one we do with orange, lactose, and vanilla. Brought a, uh, a chocolate cherry, which was cherry, and then added uh, cacao nibs into the into it to give it a little chocolate flavor. And then um, I also brought a peanut butter jelly, which uh, we boil, I boiled some peanuts in the primary, and then um, used Concord grapes to, to give it just that peanut butter jelly uh, taste to it. A few, a few people uh, have been doing that recently, and it seems to be a big hit. So I'm more into kind of pushing the boundaries of where, uh, where you can take your flavors. And I've tasted your peanut butter and jelly, and it really tastes like peanut butter and jelly. It's amazing. So uh, we just have a few minutes left, so I wanted to ask the three of you, what do you think? I mean, it seems to me that uh, mead makers don't necessarily follow the staid rules that winemakers have followed. Um, yeah, I think from Raphael what was making that point. Yeah, right? exactly. And from what I've read, too, I mean, there are mead makers who make soda mead and, you know, all different kinds, sweet, dry. Um, so what do you think the future is well, for I, mead? I think that's fantastic because we're in between that sort of beer wine thing like I, I i went to bordeaux for my uh, honeymoon and there's this whole ritual around drinking wine whereas mead uh, someone asked me what do you call making mead is it like uh fermenting brewing concocting um and there are all these wonderful new verbs and concepts around mead so it's like an, it's both ancient and an open book you can like do anything with mead at this point and i, I just Personally, I'm in it to have a lot of fun. Well, that sounds reasonable to me. What do you think, Walter? What do you think is the... Where's Multo? I mean, not Walter. I'm sorry. Raphael. My main concern right now is that... Uh, it's what I, what I like to call the ghost of Zima, which is the, the, like, it, the pressure of the industry to make alcoholic soda. And you see it, that as a competition? No, <laughs> I, I'm just worried that uh, there's a lot of meat out there like, that's made essentially the same way that you would make a wine product, like half as strong... And you know, kind of flavored with grape juice, but mostly made out of sugar. And the you can make you know, there's a lot of meat out there that is that kind of low alcohol canned stuff that really has nothing to do with like what I would consider with the history of meat. And I worry that that people try that first and they don't get into mm. some of the more complex things that right. are yeah. possible. But Raphael, your meat is really sophisticated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a sophisticated <coughs> tongue, but. Um, Shrams tends to be kind of sweet, and it's very delicious. Mm-hmm. Your mead has a different story. 
in quotes. Sure. I'm, I'm and Brian's is sweet and delicious. And, and delicious. And, but, yeah. but yours has, and it's like, you need to educate people to drink this stuff. Americans in particular love sweet stuff. I'm never going to yeah. tell people that not to like that. I mean, I like sweet things as much as anybody. It's just that in most cases, the sugar will cover up the flavor of the honey. That honey has a flavor. When you ferment the sugar out, yeah. that's when you get to really express it. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's important to make dry meats for that reason. I think it's, it's easy to make something that you can drink sweet, but it's hard to drink a lot of it. Um, and it's hard to drink it over time. No, it's really, yeah, no, it's, it's a sipping be, thing. Yeah. But I did a survey of the Upper West Side, and I asked uh, all bars and liquor stores, and even th- here at Gephardt's. Gephardt's has one mead mm-hmm. it sells. Uh, and all the other bars I went to, none. Back when I said you have a mead, they said, meat? No, we don't <laughs> sell meat What's here. Meat? So it seems like there's a whole education process that we need to go on. While in Michigan, say, I was talking to Shrams, it's big. Mm. They yeah. sell out all the time. Yeah. So what? Wh- how, how do well, you I move mean, forward? A lot, a lot of the meaderies that like, we sell out all the time too. I mean, it's it's common. You know, there's a lot of meaderies are smaller, but there's a when you uh, when you make low alcohol meat and you distribute with beer and your wine, you know, you, you're kind of giving people a lot of mixed messages. So that, I think that's one of the difficulties. And Ryan, think is the future of mead. What do you think? Where are you going to take it? So I think mead is a lot like a beer and wine. There's a lot of different types of it. And, um, you know, some people do dry stuff. Some people do sweet stuff. Um, I think it's important to definitely recognize where mead came from. Um, You know, prehistoric mead was, you know, super sweet. They used a ton of honey. Um, Some people like dry mead. Some people like sweet mead. And you can do a lot of different things with it. I think um, customer education, like you guys talked about, is a huge huge challenge for mead um in some areas you know in ferndale you've got not only shrimps but uh bee nectar which is a huge national distributor mm-hmm. of mead um doing a lot to, to get the the word about mead and even though it's one of the oldest alcohols it's really starting to just enter the the craft uh, beer scene and and people are starting to, to drink it yeah i one of the um i was reading a lot about mead of course before this and one of the uh, mead makers said well you can really you can really rely upon mead to come back into its own become really popular about every 2000 years <laughs> <laughs> all right Raphael, uh your bartender uh let us know that in fact when you do get close to selling out well i'll let him uh Tell you what he told Are you going to pitch my mailing list? No. You know, Raphael will, like, hoard the stuff. Like, once he's down to a couple boxes, it's, it's there's, we don't sell it anymore, and it's only for him. So he's got, like, his, yeah, he's got his, like, reserve. Raphael's, that's babies. It's the angel's share. Well, <laughs> the angel's no. well, yeah. yeah. We archive a lot of stuff. Uh, let's put it that so, way. So you're, you're going to fire Alex now. No, oh, no, no, Alex is the best. No, he's, he's sort of joking. I mean, you know, basically we have a few tiers. So we wholesale. Mm-hmm. But when we start running out, then we, we cut off the wholesale. We just serve it at the tasting room. And then we have our mailing list. They get the last bit of it. And oh, then nice. Our, and then we have a club that gets, like, the stuff as soon as it comes out. So we sell a lot online. Uh, we sell uh-huh. direct. We ship all over the country. Um, but, you know, there's a point where, you know, when you, we do 12 meets a year, they're seasonal. You know, you're doing hundred hundred case batches. They're not gonna kick, they're not gonna stick around very long. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's how we do it. All right. So thanks to Raphael, Brian, and Walter. That has been this has been most enlightening. Thank you. Please stick around for the be the beer versus mead taste off. 
uh, those here at Gebhardt's will have a chance to enjoy some of your meads. For those of you on the dry side of the podcast, check out some of the great local craft beers in our city. Uh, we will list a few of our, uh, on our website, along with a report on the first ever craft beer versus mead taste-off. But we're coming back now to... Yeah, we'll, we'll be right back with the owners Jason Soller of Strong Row Brewery in Brooklyn and Kyle Hurst of Big Alice Brewing in Long Island City. And as Becky says, it'll be the first craft beer versus mead taste-off. Maybe we'll get Becky's first mead teeny that she wants to create. And we'll be right back. Barleycorn must die, according to the 1970s English rock group Traffic. But Mr. Barleycorn has been resurrected in and around our New York City neighborhoods as some of the most delicious beers in the world. Today, with us today, are two local brewers, Jason Soller of Strong Rope Brewery. Okay, I have a question about that. Strong yes. rope, strong enough to hang yourself? Uh, I, would, I would suggest not doing that, but, you know. It's very strong. I'm going to ask him later about why he named it Strong Rope. Well, I, You're I, jumping on my question. I'm so sorry. All okay. right. I just made it. I just had this. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in Brooklyn, right? Correct. And Kyle Hurst of Big Alice Brewing in Long Island City with the ladies, the most beautiful blue eyes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, my God. Stop. You know, I'm married to her, so uh, cool it. Oh, he's not yeah. doing anything. Actually, this is the sexy mic. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm sexy and smart. So welcome to both of you to Bar Crawl Radio. First, probably the, the most, most important, important question, question right. of the evening. What are you drinking? Oh, uh, I am drinking... What am I drinking? Okay, uh, if you could be on the mic. Yeah. I'm drinking the Dogfish Head Dragons and Yum Yums. Dragons and Yum Yums. Wow. How is it? It's delicious. Uh, it was you know, one of their offerings I was not familiar with, so that's why I went That's why you up. tried it. Yeah. 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 And I'm uh, drinking uh, Dogfish Head 60 Minute. So it's dogs, dog's Head is being featured here. Yeah, I guess there was um, Record Store Day, which they're an official sponsor of or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, yeah. yeah. And no. we, we are at Gebhardt's Beer yes. Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, and we're Bar Crawl Radio. I think I said that in a while. So, gentlemen, I studied Garrett Oliver's Oxford Companion to beer. Do you know that? Yes. Familiar. All right, you know that beer, right? Really thick. And so I learned everything I could about beer, and I now know a dangerous amount of mixed-up beer you know, stuff. Um, it's such a huge topic. There's so many beers. There's so many styles. Yeah. Um, and I went through IPA, ale, lager, whiskey beer, Dubel, Weiss beer, Lambic, Pilsner, Porter, Stout, Triple, Brown, Porridge, Smoked. And according to the Great American Beer Festival, there are 78 styles of beer. And there, maybe there's even more. So 
My question to you all is, what is beer? <laughs> that maybe is the hardest you question the smart, of the evening. You got the smart one, Mike. Why don't you take that one? <laughs> yeah, but you have the other one. Okay. Uh. <laughs> so th- it depends on, um, I guess, the at the root of it, uh, beer is made of four ingredients. If you uh, follow uh, the purity law from Germany, uh, Ryan Hutzkebach, it is uh, water, malt, hops, and yeast. So That's it. Th- at, at, at its core, you know, and then from that, all the various styles. Uh, and some of them were, were brands you mentioned as well, but uh, you know, all you know stem from that. From that. Well, DNA has four ingredients too, so I guess that makes sense. Okay. And you can do it's, a lot with it. Can you add anything to that, Jason? To DNA or no, no, no. no, no. To, 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 <laughs> to what goes into beer? I don't know how deep we're getting here. Um, <laughs> no, I think and a I lot think, of love because yeah. that love goes into it. I mean, you know, it's it's. I think I think that was a perfect description. Uh, you know, in terms of the number of styles. I think that's a pretty uh, nebulous uh, number to try to reach because a lot of times there's there's things that just kind of blend and you know try to actually dial in like or say that there's this type of number of styles uh, when you know you have an IPA but then you have ten different variations within the IPA and are those considered different styles or are they all just considered an IPA but either very different in terms of their overall profile and what you're going to be drinking so to you know try to nail that down to a specific number I think is, is pretty tough right but right. so 78 or more <clears throat> oh I mean it's, it's yeah it's and you're just, testing the boundaries and people test the boundaries all the time yeah yeah, yeah right. they're, they're, they're playing around and, and creating new things and new ingredients and local ingredients being uh, brought into the mix and you know people are you know so many local breweries there's now over 6,000 breweries in the U.S. so localities have become much more of a thing and styles you know that's how styles originally kind of originated or what you consider styles is that someone in you know uh, Germany did this in this particular region and it became known for that and all of a sudden you know you're now calling it a Kolsch for the Cologne region or um, you know IPAs or other things from like the Burton-on-Trent and like all these different things so now with you know especially in the U.S. all these different regions getting their own uh, you know uh, breweries, hopefully we start to see some kind of branching and differentiation uh, between uh, all, the, all the different uh, places. Right. There's, there, there, there is a, uh, a statement I came across that America is the most advanced beer culture in the world today, whether that's true or not. Someone's but making that statement. Yeah, someone, well, Oliver, Oliver uh, Garrett Oliver made that Sounds statement. Sounds subjective to me. Yeah, 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 yeah right. it could be. But what is the New York City beer style? You mentioned other beer styles, a German beer style. Is there a New York City beer style that's predominant? Or a Brooklyn or a Long Island? Yeah, or that's different than Boston or Dublin Queens. or Munich. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see a New York City or even a borough-specific style. Are you a strong rope point. style? No, I mean, we do a lot. I mean, so, I mean, one of the things that both uh, Big Alice and I do is work with New York State ingredients. Um, uh, I we tend to do a lot of kind of traditional um, things like the the beer. One of the beers I brought to you tonight was which is pub ale, which is kind of an English bitter um, or IPA. Like we just we we try to focus on those ingredients um, and doing somewhat classic interpretations of those beers. Um, we're not we haven't really I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Stuff, like. 
Styles is always a weird thing to me. Like, I, you know, we make the beer that we like to drink. It kind of, it falls within this kind of framework, and then you can kind of describe it in this framework. Uh, and then you want to, like, all of a sudden, and then, then you need to, like, be able to describe that to somebody else, and it becomes on based on styles and stuff. So we do, we do our pub ale, which is meant to be a classic kind of pub drinking beer. But so a beer that you could just keep drinking all night. Right. And then and that becomes, okay, well, it's like an English bitter. That's the closest that we can come to, like, kind of describing that. So then, then it becomes an English bitter, but it's, I wouldn't technically call it an English bitter because you don't use any English malts. Um, you're, getting, you're getting technical, Jason. I, I'm, I'm very, yeah. Probably I mean, the easiest I mean, way to really out. geeky. Yeah, to, to, you know, simplify it down a little bit. You, you think about when you fill out the census every 10 years, right? There, there's X number of categories that the you know, right, government right, right, tries to right. pigeonhole us into. Yeah, they, you that's what you're styles not, none are of for those. beer. It, well, <laughs> and that's the case. So in, in Jason's example, there are beers that are none of those, but you have to pick one often. And so, you know, he, in his case, he's, he's picking English bitter, even though it doesn't really apply, but for you know, people like that kind other of... other to me. Well, yeah. I mean, probably a lot of beers do fall into other, and, and in particular yeah. kind of some of the stuff that he and I do as uh, you know that our two breweries do as, as farm breweries. Um, you know we're using. You know, Jason uses a higher percentage. We do. We're, we're all required to use at least twenty percent New York State grown malt, hops. You know all other ingredients. So and that makes you a farm brewer, right? So we're we're supporting New York State agriculture so uh, you know, through the production of anyway. our of our beer. Yeah. 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 I, I don't want I don't want to lose this question because I will. How did you come up with the name Strong Rope? Uh, so Strong Rope is named in honor of my uh, best friend. His name was Eric Ropito. Oh. I always used to call him Rope uh, for short, and so after he died, it was a way for, to pay homage to him. Okay, nice. all right. Very nice. And Big Alice? Uh, we often get asked who Big Alice is. Uh, the question, I kind of know the answer to this. The question yeah. is, what is Big Alice? Yeah. And uh, if, you're, if you've ever been to Queens, kind of right on the East River there, there's uh, these giant red and white smokestacks that uh, right. you can see from anywhere in the borough. Oh, and right. They're, they're nicknamed Big Alice, so they were built by Alice Chalmers. So. Which is A-L-L-I-S. Right. We changed it to the woman's name. We capitalized the L-I-C in the middle because right. of our neighborhood in Queens. Right. Long Island, oh, Long okay. Island City. So, Clever. Oh, very nice. Clever, Kyle. <laughs> that's, that's really great. As I was saying before, we can get real geeky about beer, so I'm going to ask real simple questions. Kyle, how many barrels of beer do you produce each, each year? Um, so this past year we were probably around 700 or 750. Our total, yeah, we, we expanded our production facility in the, you know, during the last year, so at our total capacity we can do about 1,500. 1,500, okay. Right. And, and Jason? We did about 250 last year, and then... Hoping to get that into like the mid three hundred range this year. And how much of that do you sell actually there at the tap room? Uh, we we sell a majority of it. Um, in terms of exact numbers, I don't have that off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, we we try to do. I mean, for a brewery our size, we're making sixty two gallons at a time. Right. And with the with the kind of prices of real estate around here. Um, you kind of it, it, it takes a lot of work if you're going to try to make it a business going doing all wholesale right. at that scale. So we we went in making it a tap room and a, a place for people to come so that you would get that kind of retail dollar versus wholesale dollar. And we haven't been out was, to Big Alice. Oh, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it was very popular. It was it was a very nice vibe, too. There was people with their dogs. They looked like yeah. they were in the neighborhood. Our, the people that we just met that night, and, mm. and, and they, they, they're our best friends. Brian and Michelle Doyle yeah. of, uh, of uh, 
Mad, uh, medicine Hat, medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so we met them your, at, your tap room. at your tap room, and then we, we, we said, do you want to go try a meadery? And they came with us. It was lots of fun. We, we, nice. we went to Honey's uh, tasting room. But uh, I mean, Raphael. we just we just bring bring people together. It's yeah. Toronto. And then we were sitting down, and we we sat at a big table, and we were sitting there talking to some men that were there for a um, a wedding. Um, oh, it was a bachelor party, actually. Yeah. It was a bachelor party. We get where well, so we're close to a handful of other breweries uh, in the Gowanus area. Three's other half, so folks beer. So there's a lot of crawls that happen. Nice. Um, and Big Alice is the same. We yeah, like so that. Do you you know each other's beers? Of course. Yeah. Right. And your beers are different. Yeah. Yes. You're not doing the same thing. No. What is it that, that separates? You're both farm brewers. What is it that makes you different from each other? Um, <laughs> you know, taste. That's it's, you know, you, you could have us both make the same recipe and it, they would come out different. So, okay. I mean, each, each brewer, each brewery has, you know, just you know, due to equipment and technical difficulties yeah. or technical differences, let's say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> difficulties, you'll, you'll end up, Yeah, there's every day. Uh, most of our day is spent problem solving. But, uh, you know, even when we do a similar style, you know, there's, there's going to be uh, differences. So, you know, again, it comes down to making it generic. You know, we, we both do an IPA. We both do a brown ale. You know, we, we both do different styles, but they have our, our own, uh, you know, spin on it. We, we sponsor our own beehive in Queens, so we get rooftop honey that's that cool. goes into our brown ale. So. Oh, okay. Uh, All right, I'd be, be honest. Do you ever get a bad batch? Yeah, of course. You do? I mean, I do. What, what, what is a I bad mean, batch? Maybe it's not like, of course. But <laughs> yeah? What's that? I mean, does it, uh, what do you do with it when, when you get one of those? If it's not good enough to serve, then I'll pour it down the drain. Ah, I mean, I'm not going to put out. Well, before you do that, maybe you should call me over because it might be okay. <laughs> sure. Just like yeah. a good chef. Yeah. It yeah. might. Sure. It might be just good enough for me. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. It's it's we 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 strive not to you know put out. We strive to put out the best beer, and anything that's not quite up to what we want to do will not get out there. A very important question uh, came up last year. My, my reading. Uh, we get ready for this broadcast. Kim Koch of Boston Beer. Am I saying his name right, Coach? Uh, Jim. Jim. Jim Coke. 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 Jim Coke. Okay. Uh, not not the Coke brothers. Saying it really not. Not right. the Coke brothers. Right. Right. He wrote an, an editorial in the New York Times, April, just a, a year ago, saying that local breweries are being going down because you guys are being bought out by the big AB in Bev, the Anheuser Busch uh, in Bev, and the Miller Coors, and that the day of local breweries. Is over. So of the six thousand plus of us, <laughs> I think so far ten have. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's a, there is a percentage of, of you know breweries that are being bought out. But being uh, bought out. I, we, I, have you ever considered that of being you know if 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 uh, Anheuser Busch comes over to you and says we like your honey you know we we we'd like to use that. I, I'd like to say no, but we all have our number. You'll say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big pull with a yeah. dump truck full of money. I'll figure it's, something out. But, uh, but no, in general, no, I would not say. Yeah, you like what you're doing. Love it. It's it's not yeah. a uh, a business I'm growing to sell. It's it's uh, I, business I want to grow. It on. seems to me that your local craft brewers, like you two, and the many others that are in in our area, are are in the community and doing stuff for the community. That you are you are local for a reason. Can you talk about that? How important is it to be part of the Gowanus community or the Long Island City community? It, it's very important. It's uh, actually I just was having this conversation earlier today. Um, so we actually have language in our operating agreement that says we will spend more to support local 
Um, and, and when we added that language, our lawyer was not happy. He said we were shirking our fiduciary responsibilities. So uh, we told him to complete the document. We added the language, and then we signed it. But um, it's something that's very important to us. We, we frequently do you know, fundraisers. We used to do them once a month. Uh, we do them a little less often, but in order to you know, raise more funds. So we, we support as many local charities as often as we can. So, I mean, that's just one side of it as, as far as being local. But uh, we talked about how we use uh, you know, New York State-grown vaults and hops. Uh, you know, we, like I said, we support uh, you know, uh, urban uh, beekeeping, so we have, we have a hive. Coffee's not going to New York State, but we have a, a coffee roaster that all of our coffee beers uh, we buy through him. So, um, you know, we, we try to put uh, you know, community ahead of corporation and people ahead of Profits is, right. is how our mission statement. And, 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 nice. and Jason, you feel the same way? Yeah, of course. Because no, your neighborhood I, was in your tasting room. Yeah, yeah. As far yeah. as I could I see. Mean, and and buses of, of bachelor parties and whatnot. But yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's extremely important. And, and I agree with everything Kyle just said. And, um, really, you know, we it, as a brewery or any business, you are you are you have an effect on your community whether you like it or not. And I think for a community to strive and to be a healthy environment, um, both environmentally, uh, socially, all of that, that it, 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 you know, you should be doing something to give back, whether that's through fundraisers or working with organizations or doing whatever you can to, to help kind of uh, bring bring up that community then i think it's i think it's important uh and breweries breweries put out a lot of, of waste and they they're big users of energy and uh, there's a lot uh there's a lot of resources going into them so you You're should talking be about the big breweries just like any brewery. Okay. I mean, yeah, just breweries. We, I mean, it's just, and and yeah, I mean, and you're talking about on, on different scales, obviously, but even small breweries, we're 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 using a lot and doing a lot. So it's important that we are aware of our neighbors and, and what they're doing and try to give back. All right, last question. No, I've got one more after you. So go on. Well, so I was no, gonna have the last word, huh? I, then you, <laughs> yeah, I think, we're I going think. we're going to therapy about that, <laughs> and I'm working on it. Okay, Kyle, right, I'm right. working on it. I know. I see. Okay. How many questions did I ask, guys, right? Last question, or penultimate question. At the end of this recording, we are going to have a beer tasting of Big Alice and That's my question. I know. Oh, okay. So you no longer have one more question? I stole that from under you. She was looking over your shoulder, I see. I'm I'm just starting the beer tasting. (laughs) So before we get to it, is there a proper way to drink beer? Uh, I mean... Enjoy it. I mean, really, in terms of if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, in terms of styles, there's different glasses that are more maybe more appropriate for certain styles, certain temperatures. Uh, you can get kind of down to the the nuances of it, but you know, in the in the end, it's 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 beer. Just enjoy it. Yeah, I think Jason and I both agree on that. Yes, you can get technical. Yeah, but just enjoy the beer. Yeah. So you don't like snip it and then. Do the I, air over I the do find myself sniffing every beer before I drink it, which yeah. is kind of a weird, you know. Uh, but you're a brewery. It's just, it's, it's almost, yeah. I can't help it. Wow. But, 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 no, it's certainly not necessary. It's just something like that's, uh, you know, reflex. And I, I, my, my, my way of drinking beer is to maybe pay attention. Pay attention mm. to, the, to the beer as you're drinking it. Okay. Thanks to Kyle Hurst of Big Alice Brewing in Long Island City. And to Jason Sonner, we're going we're to get down to your tap. Do you have a tap room? We do. We're going to yeah, get down. Yeah, we're coming. We're coming. Now that we know you. And um, Jason Soller of Strong Rope Brewery in Brooklyn. 
for sharing a bit about your beer making lives. And um, we're all going to be sticking around for the beer versus meat taste off. Do you notice they've already started the taste off? I know, they started yeah. with that. It's like they're over here, they're tasting the beer, we're over here working. This is Bar Crawl Radio coming to you from Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street on the Upper West Side. Don't forget, we're right across from the mortuary. And when we return, we will be talking. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now that I got to edit yeah, out. Yeah, you do have to cut. Let me, let, me, let me try the ending. We got. I'm going to try the ending. Okay, okay you go ahead. This is Bar Crawl. Oh, no, 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 no. This is Bar Crawl Radio. Forget it. This is Bar Crawl. I'll get it. You want to do it? Where are we? We're right, right there. I All give right. up. This is I'm Bar going Crawl to the, Radio. You can I'm listen to, to the, the full tasting. interview with Ken Schramm on BCR 12 Extra at iTunes and Stitcher. Pretty please follow us on Facebook and Instagram and co- contact us. That's at pretty please. That's yearning. Pretty, pretty please. Pretty please. <laughs> contact us at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. And we are now going to go over to the beer versus me tasting. It'll also be in a BCR 12 extra on iTunes and Stitcher. You're not going to hear it because basically we're done. On to the tastings, boys. Where's the good stuff? <laughs> 